Blog Talk Radio. today. Good love. Is your relationship everything you want it to be? Are you living a fulfilled, passionate life empowered with choices that ignite you to the next level? Good love makes your whole life better. So join America's good love doctor, Dr. Brenda Wade, on a journey to your healthiest life yet. A regular on Dr. Oz and Dr. Drew, She's appeared on Oprah, Good Morning America, and is featured in countless publications from USA Today to Essence Magazine. The creator of life-changing Get Unstuck Now, Love, Money, and Save a Seminars, she's counseled millions, but today she's here just for you with the hottest topics, guests, and trends. This is Good Love with Dr. Brenda Wade. Hi there, everyone. So excited to be with you tonight. Welcome to another episode of Good Love. And there's a reason some people call me the Good Love Doctor. I think it's because I eat, sleep, and breathe everything about good love. And best of all, I get to talk to people and bring their wonderful wisdom to you so you can learn more about good love. And tonight's guests are no exception because I want you to remember that this week and every week the key to good love is knowing that you are worthy and deserving. And we have a little mantra that we do here every week, and I want you to do it every day, even when we're not together for a good love radio show, and that mantra is, I am worthy. I want you to say it. I am worthy. Breathe it in. Let it soak in. I am deserving. Yeah, say it. I am deserving, and I am so lovable. I am so lovable. That's our mantra. I am worthy, I am deserving, and I am so lovable. That's one of the keys to good love. Now, our first guest tonight, when she speaks, oh, my goodness, or tweets, people respond big time. She's the author, blogger, Regina Cates, and she's got over 200,000 engaged followers on Twitter and Facebook, and she's the founder of romancingyoursoul.com. She's going to have great, wise advice and some terrific stories and fun, and she's also going to share some practical strategies for living your most authentic life. And still ahead, we're going to meet a real man's man who has unlocked the secrets of the male psyche. All right, everybody, we want to know all about the male psyche. I know that. Wouldn't you like to hear the five things 
every man needs to know before falling in love? Life coach Steve Horseman is here to tell us all about what every man needs to know before falling in love. And as always, we are going to focus tonight on why good love is essential to your greatness. Mm, Think about that. How to identify the negative love patterns that are blocking you from good love and how can you break the chains of what happened then so you can be free to experience what is right now. Now, you're welcome to join the conversation for call-ins. Simply call 347 989 That's 347 989 And push 1 on your handset to participate in the live discussion or hit us back on Facebook or tweet us at Dr. Brenda Wade. Now, let me tell you about Miss Regina Cates. At first glance, you'd think she's just the lovely and glowing person who stepped off the pages of a wellness magazine, which is already a great start. But she says you would never imagine that her childhood in Victoria, Texas, was really hard. She is a jeans-wearing gay tomboy and has been surrounded by people all of her life who ridiculed and persecuted her. No matter how hard she tried to fit the mold, she failed. And now she's going to share her own story of going from heartbreak to self-awareness. She's the founder of www.romancingyoursoul.com, and she's a leading blogger for health and wellness. Her first book is now out. I love this title. It's Lead With Your Heart. Everybody, welcome Regina Cates. Hello, Regina. Hello, Dr. Wade. A pleasure to be with you. Oh, the pleasure is all mine, my dear. Now, Victoria, Texas, whereabouts in Texas is that? I know. It's, it's down below Houston, about 130 miles. It's in southern Texas. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay, that, that helps because I was like, that's a part of Texas. I don't know. But we all know Houston, so it's not too far from Houston. So growing up there, what was it like for you? How many siblings do you have? Tell us a little bit of your story. Sure. Well, Dr. Wade, I was actually adopted, which is a wonderful thing. Um, I have a younger sister who was also adopted with me mm-hmm. and have two great parents. I have a biological family that's full, too, somewhere else in the country, which is sort of interesting. But, yeah, I was raised in a fundamentalist Christian church in the southern part of the United States. And, Dr. Wade, from the age of about three, I knew I was just different. And that was a hard pill to swallow when you're surrounded by folks that, even though they don't know about you, they still are you know, saying things and persecuting you. And then at the age of 18, when I was brave and I was going to go ahead and come out, well, then the worst nightmare happened, <laughs> as you can imagine. Sure, sure. So what happened at, at 18? <laughs> Well, I confessed to my parents that I was gay, and, and, you know, of course, you can understand that uh, they didn't receive it very well, so I was shipped off to an institution and and drugged a little bit and 
you know, tried to reform. But I have to tell you something. It was a wonderful experience for me, Dr. Wade, because let me tell you, for the very first time in my life, I went to see a psychiatrist at their, you know, volition. They wanted me to go. And the man looked them in the eye and said, I'm not going to change her because she was born exactly the way that she needed oh, to be. Oh, my God. You found an enlightened psychiatrist? It was a wonderful, wonderful experience. It was the first time that I found a friend, and from that day forward, I began working on the issues that, you know, you you have as a result of growing up gay in the South or growing up in any condition where you were persecuted. You know, I am certainly not alone, Dr. Wade. My oh, story might just right look about a bit that, different. Mm-hmm. Definitely. We all have something that we're put upon. You know, that's the whole reason behind the book. That's the whole reason for the 10-year journey that I've taken to write this particular thing because I didn't have a guidebook growing up on how to survive this stuff. Mm. Yeah. What you talk about every week is so important about love, and that is what this book is about, Lead With Your Heart. It's how I learned to love myself, the steps that we take every single day that will bring us out of the pain of the past to live a wonderful life. Absolutely. Now, one of the things that you discovered when you met this psychiatrist is that there was somebody who could validate you. And there's so many people, as you know, Regina, and as I know, who never find that person who can validate them, who can say, hey, wait a minute, did you know she was born this way and that's what it means to be gay? It's not an illness. It's not some curse from God. I've heard people say that. (laughs) <laughs> and it's not a punishment. This is who she is. And for those who don't find that person, what would you say to them if they are teenagers who are struggling with their identity or someone who's a parent or mm-hmm. a sibling of someone who is struggling with their identity? Mm-hmm. The most important thing that I think that we can give one another, and it's an aspect of love, Dr. Wade, and that is acceptance acceptance for who we are and what I tell people that are in the same circumstance as me or even different circumstances is that you need to really turn that energy of what you're looking for on the outside inward it's the journey that you have with yourself because you are worthy of the best life you are deserving of the best life and that it starts with you you know you have to love yourself first before we can love other people and so even though I had that validation that was a singular person Dr. Wade in my life until many, 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 many years later. So the journey came from not only him saying, you know, you're okay, but it was still a very much isolated event for me, so I had to learn how to survive on my own. Oh, I I believe it was isolated because here you were being shipped off to an institution, effectively being being seen as somebody who was sick. Yes. Well, yes, and there were other things that went on, too. I was first sent to a physician who molested me. So, you know, Oh, great. And, and again, you know, I, I have to say that I am truly, truly, Dr. Way, grateful for every experience that I've had in my life. Do I wish now that it would have been different? You know, I can't go back and change the past, but it has taught me so much but about how the things. Wrong. If I pause you for one second, because this is, this is important for all of our listeners, you are listening to Regina Kate, who has come through the storm, but there was a storm, and one of the steps I know you must have taken, Regina, to get to where you are, because I don't want people to gloss over their storm, I know that you spent some time healing those wounds and those hurts and having to deal with those feelings. 
Yes, I can hear it in the energy, in your voice. You've dealt with a lot of it. But I want everybody to know you took some steps. So back up for us for just a minute. What were some of the things you you had to heal? Your doctor molest you. Your parents send you to an institution. You're being rejected everywhere you turn. What were some of those feelings that that young, innocent girl felt, that young Regina? Yeah, you feel unworthy, you feel unloved, you feel that, uh, you know, for many years, Dr. Wade, growing up, uh, I'm 57, so you can imagine growing up in that particular time, I felt like I was the only gay person on earth. I was actually shocked when I met someone else when I was in my early 20s, you know, and they were also gay. Uh, So the steps that I have taken really have been an inward journey. You know, I had to question the path that I was on because it happened for me uh, that I really got tired of feeling like a victim a victim of the abuse, a victim of the persecution. And I just said to myself one day, and I had this epiphany, I was throwing a major pity party, and no one else was showing up other than me. No one's coming to my rescue. And all of a sudden, a little voice within my heart, Dr. Wade, said, who's responsible for creating the life you really want? It was a question that I was asked. And my response immediately, without thinking, just that pure divine guidance was you are. And in that moment, all of a sudden, it it was like the chains were stripped away. And for the first time in my life, I actually felt powerful that I could take the actions necessary to forgive, to learn what love actually meant, to move past the victimization, and to take my power as a worthy individual. Hmm. That's That's amazing. Now, what was it, Regina, on your journey that led you to a place where you could actually hear that voice? Because Mm -hmm. so many people who go through these extraordinarily painful experiences of rejection, persecution, molestation, we know that one out of three or four women faces Mm -hmm. sexual assault or molestation. So that's a lot of women, a lot of people. How do you begin that journey to heal so you get to a place you can actually hear that voice? Mm -hmm. You know, for me, it was about complete surrender. I just got absolutely tired, like I said before, of feeling like a victim, like there was nothing I could do. For so many years, I waited for someone to come and rescue me or for someone to come and apologize. They never did. Mm. No one rode up on the white horse. And all of a sudden, I just decided that I had to be my own savior. And I think it was a process that happened over many, many years for me because I've been a strong person. I've been independent. I've stood up to a lot of different things. I think part of my journey, Dr. Wade, was to refuse to let those folks mold me into something other than what I was. And so I already had an inner strength, and I went to that place, and I just surrendered to it. And also... To answer your question, we have to master a mind with a mind of its own. That's how we hear the inner voice because each one of us, every single person hears it every day. We hear that guidance, but our mind tells us it's not real. Our fear comes in. So what I did to actually master of its own, was I had to think about the thoughts that were driving me, the thoughts that were driving my fear. Are they real? Are they true? Are they important? Are they helping me? And you know what? With that analysis, I realized, 
you know, my head's going to think about a lot of stuff, but it's not necessarily the best supporter of me. None of our brains is, you know. So what you heart. were looking at is you were actually saying, okay, now everybody, you can borrow some benefits here from what Regina is saying in her process. Because usually when we feel, as you said, like a victim, we're caught in a pattern of thinking that is reinforcing that. And what you did was you picked apart the pattern and said, hey, what can I do? And this is very important, everybody. She's dropping some breadcrumbs. Let's follow her. She said, how can I change my own mind and become the master of my mind. You know, I love that, Regina. I love that we have a mastermind program, so I'm right there with you. <laughs> I know. Uh, well, each one of us has that power, Dr. Wade. You know that. I know that. And when we go through that, when we change those thoughts of, of whatever it is that we, we play these tapes over, over and over, when we actually confront those, an interesting thing happens. We realize we're not our thoughts. We realize that we're that internal spirit, that soul, and I call it in my book, the heart, that is so much wiser. And it already knows we're worthy. It already knows we have everything within us. You know, I have never really studied with anyone, and that psychiatrist was the only person that I went to see. This has been an inward journey for me, uh, and, and that is asking myself the hard questions. Why are you thinking that? What is the motivation behind that? When we do that, Dr. Wade, we realize that there's something within us that is so magical that has the ability to heal that hurt. Mm. That's amazing, Regina, because see, like me, I have had more therapists than I can count, more mentors, more teachers, traveled the world to learn to meditate and all these different things, and you are able to do this inwardly. That is absolutely amazing now each of us has our own journey some of us like me need to get all the help we can get but you were able to tap into some inner resources and i just bow down that is amazing well that inner resource is what i consider to be the divine connection and i believe that that to be the most powerful counselor that we could have i am all for counselors i i really believe that there's wonderful folks out there i was someone who had the opportunity to work with someone early on that gave me the tools to continue to look inward. So my journey did start with that. But I carried those tools, those inward self-evaluation, onward throughout my life, and I began picking apart everything that bothered me to the point where I was able to heal it. But that great spirit within each one of us, that beautiful connection that we have, when we lead with our heart by listening to that, We already got that, Dr. Wade. We just have to learn how to connect with it. And that's the whole reason I wrote the book. It's the steps that I took in order to get to where I am today. Mm, And the book, everybody, is Lead With Your Heart. And if you want to join the conversation, if you have a question or a comment, you can call 347-989-0776. Push one on your handset, and then Cliff, our moderator producer, will know to call on you. Or you can hit us back on Facebook with your question or comment, or tweet us at Dr. Brenda Wade, both on Facebook and Twitter. It's Dr. Brenda Wade. And, Regina, would you just tell us from the book a couple of the steps 
that are so important. You've talked about examining your thoughts and shifting from a victim mentality. What else would you share with our listeners that they could do that would help them take that quantum leap to lead with their heart? Mm-hmm. You know, I believe that the most important thing that we can do is that we can realize that we are in charge of our own actions. You know, Dr. Wade, our thoughts create our behavior. Our behavior creates our life. So that when we're aware of our actions and and be purposeful with those actions, then we begin to create uh, the most incredible life. Those actions might mean forgiveness. Those actions might mean setting boundaries. Those actions might mean caring about the wake we leave, you know, because each of our actions impacts other people. It might be that we need to just pay attention. We are terribly distracted within society today. And and (laughs) against popular stereotype that we could multitask, we really can't. That's a term that's used with computers. We need to pay attention to what's going on. We need to be careful with our communication. Wow. Um, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. This is, we have to back <laughs> up, Regina. Oh, my God. Yes, being so distracted means that we can't even hear our inner guidance. Never mind follow it, because right. if you're multitasking, you've got so much going on, we're outside of ourselves, Right. Yes, 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 absolutely. We have to remain centered and balanced. You know, one of the things that, that's so important for us, uh, at least for me, Dr. Wade, and what I would like to share with everyone is let's stay present in the moment because when we're present, we're connected to that divine part of us, the heart. When we're present, we're peaceful. When we're present, we can behave purposely. We no longer have to ego box. You know, mm-hmm. when someone cuts us off in traffic, we put on the gloves and all of a sudden we're going to you know, show them what's up. Never worked for me, Dr. Wade. 57 years of ego boxing and has never worked once. So I decided to just let it go. Um, wow. Now, this, now this how do you define word. ego? Because that's, that's an um, interesting word. Yeah, it's the part of me that was arrogant, the part of me that did not consider, that considered myself separate from everyone else, the part of me that considered that whatever was most important to me was the most important thing, period. You know, the part of us that separates us from our connection, because we're all connected, Dr. Wade. You know, all life is connected, and human beings, and we need one another. So if we take that ego, that need to be right, the need to put other people down, the need to elevate ourselves at their expense, when we take that off the table, then we're able to have those relationships that we want. The greatest well, speaking about relationships, hang on there, sister. We just got a question via Facebook, and this will be an interesting one. This person says, and she didn't sign her name. We always get anonymous questions, it seems. says, my husband seems to have lost interest in our marriage. I just discovered he's having an affair. What should I do? Regina, you want to feel that? Sure. You know, it's time to set a boundary out of greater love for yourself. Uh, it's extremely important. Healthy boundaries are very important. So I would go and, and actually, if there is proof, go and talk with him and, and make a decision on what you need to do. Uh, either go to a marriage counselor together, figure out what you're going to do. Are you going to try to save the marriage? Or if there's something that has moved beyond working on it together, then you need to make plans to, to set that boundary that it could be permanent. Yeah, yeah, and let me weigh in for anonymous. I agree with you, Regina, that there's some boundary setting that needs to happen. There's conversation that needs to happen. And we know the research says that 50% of those couples who fall into 
any kind of breakdown in your marriage or your committed relationship, if you seek good help, mm-hmm. that 50% of those relationships can be turned around so they're even better than they were before. Absolutely. So there's, there's a lot of work ahead of you, Anonymous, but both Regina and I are going to encourage you to do the work and move forward if it turns out that your beloved is interested in doing the work, that's okay. You start doing work so that you can heal yourself and get to higher ground. And, you know, I'll tell you one thing. Often, Regina, people come in to see me and they'll say, well, my partner won't come. So the, the relationship can't be turned around. But I'll tell you, I have seen over and over and over, if one person does their work, it's like dancing the tango. If you're doing the tango and I'm going to go do hip-hop, then the whole dance changes. And I've seen one person turn it all around, and I've seen it over and over and over. So Anonymous, go for it. You change your part, even if your spouse doesn't go with you. If your spouse does go, then see what you can do to figure out how you got there and how you get out of toxic love into transforming it to what Regina has just described so beautifully, which is a heart-centered way of being. That's the power of love, Dr. Wade. The power of love has the uh, ability to change the hardest of hearts and to correct the most incredibly difficult situations. Mm, I love how you just expressed that. Well, we only have a few minutes left. Regina, what do you want to leave our listeners with? And thanks for the question, Anonymous, and I'm sorry that you're facing this challenge, but I know out of every challenge there is an enormous opportunity to grow and learn. That's what challenges are for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I would say that um, we're definitely whole, and you have everything within you that you need in order to heal. You just need a jumping-off place. You just need that friendly guidance. However you get that guidance, um, I wrote Lead With Your Heart to be that playbook that I didn't have, that what do we take every day, Dr. Wade, in order to love us, because we are deserving of love and we are worthy. And some of us just need to have our hand held for a little while, and then we can take flight. You know, one of the things you say, Regina, because, of course, I researched you a little bit, is that (laughs) you have a different definition of what success and happiness really mean. Share your definition with us, would you? Oh, goodness. I think that uh, the greatest legacy we leave, Dr. Wade, is choosing how well we live, and that has nothing to do with the money that we make. It has nothing to do with the beauty that we have or, or other people consider. It has to do with leading with our heart. People of values are people who are valued. You know, in our society, those folks that, that rise above who, who do the right thing. That's the greatest legacy that you could ever leave. That is the definition of success, to be a good person who is run by the values of love, which are the values of the heart, kindness, cooperation, acceptance, peace. Ah, oh, It's a beautiful way uh, to be, and it's the greatest thing that you could ever accomplish in your life. And if you have money, too, that's great. But being a person of character comes first and foremost. Yeah, I've never been to anybody's going home ceremony, as we used to say. My family's Mm -hmm. in New Orleans, and we have these going home ceremonies, better known as funerals or Mm -hmm. memorials. Nobody has ever read a eulogy that said, 
uh, so-and-so's bank account has X number of dollars in it, people only look at what you just said. How much did this person contribute? How much good did this person do in the world? How many people did this person touch with their lives? And those people who are our heroes that we truly celebrate are people like Nelson Mandela. Yes. You know, his, his going home recently was a cause for international celebration, to yes, celebrate that life. So mm-hmm. please, you know, you are so on the right path. Well, people who lead with their heart make my heart sing, and that's what Romancing Your Soul is all about, Dr. Wade. You know, mm. Leading with your heart, being that love. And how do you do that? Well, it's a step-by-step process and something of just being love every single day. There's no greater success than that. And Being each of love every day, everybody, yeah. take it in. Now, <laughs> Regina, you've shared your gifts, you've shared your wisdom, you've shared your journey, and everyone send Regina a big heartfelt thank you. Send it out right now. Regina, let it in. Mm. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We are so grateful for you and for your journey and for all of those who are struggling with, in some way, feeling, I'm different. I don't fit, as Regina said, the mold. I am feeling less than or outside. Look inside. Look in your heart. Pick up her book. Lead with your heart. You can go and connect with her at www.romancingyoursoul.com. And join a community around Regina of people who are practicing, leading with their hearts. And I love this, Regina. Be in the present moment because it's the only moment we've got. All right, thank you for being with us and so looking forward to being with you again. Thank you, Dr. Wade. It was an honor. Oh, my honor and my pleasure. All right, blessings, Regina. All right, everybody, sit tight for Steve Hartman. And Steve is a relationship expert and a life coach, and he is conducting in-depth studies into, get this, masculinity, sexuality, and male-female relationships. And it doesn't matter if you are single, married, gay, straight, black, white, Asian, a native person, whatever is going on in your life, everybody wants good love. And there is something you can learn from all of our wonderful experts, from Regina tonight to Steve Horseman. Steve Horseman has a website called Good Guys Two Great Men dot com. That's Good Guys the Number Two Great Men dot com. And he coaches men all over the world. He's a frequent contributor to several blogs and will share the five things every man should know before falling in love. And here's an excerpt from Steve's blog. I love this because it really caught our attention. It begins with this imaginary letter from a loving father. Dear son, as your wedding day approaches, I want to give you five things to keep close to your heart in your marriage. I didn't learn these lessons before it was too late for me. Do not make the same mistakes I did. Before I give them to you, please understand these truths without any self-doubt. Know that you are worthy 
of love. Know you deserve a life of love, inspiration, and passion. Know there'll be ups and downs and to expect and embrace them. And know that you always have the power to choose to create good feelings for other people instead of bad ones. Wow. And wow, everybody, welcome Steve Horseman. Hello, Steve. Oh, hi, Dr. Wade. How are you? I am doing so well. That's very powerful. I love that letter. I've never no heard it read out loud love. before. That's our motto that here. <laughs> I love the way you read that. Thank you for putting so much passion into it. Oh, easy to do. It's so meaningful. So tell us about Steve Horseman. How did you go from being a good guy to a great man and what are your studies about masculinity, sexuality, and male-female relationships telling you these days? Oh, my gosh. How many questions did you just ask me right there? <laughs> That's right. It was all of it, all at once. Keep talking. <laughs> before, yeah, and before I started, I just want when you were, we were sending good wishes out to Regina at the very end of what she was saying, I wanted her to feel my hug. That What she was saying, those words, and the way she said it, it, it's the kind of thing if you were in person, you would get up out of your chair and run across the room and hug them, right? And that's kind of what I was doing with my energy as she was finishing. It was so moving. I wanted to thank her because I was just going, yes, 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 to everything she said. And uh, so before I started talking, I just wanted to send her a hug. Ah, uh, thank you. We all feel that way about Regina. That was so wise and powerful. And thank you for the beautiful acknowledgement of Regina's yeah, wisdom, Steve. Well, you and she both have moved me, and I've been reading your books and uh, looking through your book, The, the Power Choices, and, and getting into everything that you talk about is part of the answer to your question. How did I get here, and how did I get into all this studying? And I'm glad you gave me the mantra that I am worthy, because after hearing Regina's story, and then you compare it to a very simple you know, man's lifetime of ups and downs and a 28-year pretty decent marriage that ended in ruin with a lot of emotional fallout. My story is so very common. Regina's is, is much more full of pain. But, but what I do for men and for women now that I'm starting to coach women a whole lot more frequently is being able to share this common language of relationship pain that, that we feel. It's really hard to explain to an 18-year-old who's thinking of marrying his girlfriend and, and and give him a crystal ball to see what's really going to happen in the next 30 years of his life and try to give him these jewels of wisdom that my imaginary father's letter did. And, and I got motivated through the pain and the sorrow and the self-introspection and the epiphany, which is my word too, like Regina used, that there is so much more we can do with ourselves and with our knowledge of our power, of our masculine power and our feminine power in a relationship to create love, to make good love, which is now, why I love Now, Steve, back up for a sec. How do you define masculine power and feminine power? Those are interesting concepts. Yeah, those are interesting. And, and, geez, and all the blogs and articles I write, it gets debated hotly, of course. And so not to start a big debate, I think those powers are best defined as how they are experienced by the opposite sex. Now, my dealing is mostly with heterosexual, long-term, romantic, committed relationships. And when I talk to women and men about what they think about masculinity and femininity, a man will tell me, I feel a certain acceptance. I feel a softness. 
I feel a strength. I feel a power. And I ask them about who are some of these women, maybe, that you, you think about. Who are people like that in the movies? And they think of the strong women. They think of the Oprah Winfrey's and uh, Brene Brown's and the Brenda Wade's of the world. You know, these are the people who have this strong, passionate, feminine, soft, supportive, appreciative kind of energy that to a man feels like you can set the world on fire when you feel it, when it's given to you as a gift. So what is masculinity? Mm -hmm. Some of the women I talk to, it sounds very much the same, doesn't it? But it has a little bit of confidence, a little bit of strength, not bravado, not macho, but acceptance and approval and understanding. He sees me. He hears me. He understands me. And it's the kind of thing that will make a woman go set the world on fire because she feels like somebody's got her back, exactly like a man will feel a woman has his back. And it's uniquely feminine and uniquely masculine. And that's the best I can do. And that will probably start an argument, too. It usually does. Well, it's interesting because what you're talking about is a feeling state where someone can feel feminine energy and someone can feel masculine energy, and they have a slightly different flavor. And that flavor is one that at the end of the day, this was interesting to me, you said the flavor, even though it's different, the result is the same. Oh, beautiful, yes. The result is the same. It's supported. Yes, and it is so important to know that it is not only a man who has masculine energy and can give that gift. We have uh, our feminine energy as women have masculine, and there are different times and places for delivering those gifts at the right times. And uh, that's a lot of the debate, as if it is only on one side of the gender. And it's, it's not meant to be gender stereotypical, but it's more the feeling base that you just talked about. Yeah, yeah. We want to steer clear of the old gender stereotypes because they force us into what I call a stage one relationship where there's this, this archetype of the kind of caveman mm. syndrome, cave woman, you know, one is dominant, one is submissive. And right. that's just not where we want to be anymore, people. We all know that. We want to be in that heart space that Steve described, Regina described, where we're really being present with ourselves and being authentic. So, Steve, I like that definition. That works for me because it's more what we're experiencing rather than it's this specific set of traits. Now, how does that get played out? Because one of the things I know you're working with is how you coach men to go from being good guys to great men. What does that really mean? Well, the symptoms of the good guys, and, and I'm a recovering good guy, and will be probably to the day I die. Um, the process involves. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's that's the first time I've heard that a recovering good guy. <laughs> yeah, you well, better explain uh, that good heard... guy that you're recovering from. Oh, Dr. Robert Glover wrote, uh, "No more Mr. Nice Guy," and when when both men and women read it, they nod in agreement, like I know exactly what you're talking about. And, and we have symptoms. We have symptoms of being extremely people-pleasing, extremely concerned about what other people think about us and, and what we can do to make them happy. And we sacrifice our own values, our own sense of self, our own sense of worth in order to get affirmation and value from other people in our life. When good guys get married, 
they think that they're on the right track because they've won the girl and they've done everything right. But then if they stay in the good guy mode and, and they don't start understanding who they are, and, and you know, with one of the Doc Waitisms I, I have is, you know, you learn how to love. If you haven't learned how to love yourself, as you say, you're not going to be able to give love during your marriage, so you continue trying to please and please and please. And the and the real evil part of the good guy is that once he starts seeing that he can't always get what he wants by pleasing, he gets angry and he gets he gets passive aggressive and he becomes critical and judgmental and and the downward spiral of so many of the marriages that I see my guys going through are just that they've been giving to get since the day they were born because they didn't realize their own self-worth, that giving all by itself was in itself a gift to them. Wow. So you're describing a kind of male version of the codependence that we used to think was only something that women suffered from. Exactly. And that is quite a statement, the giving to get. Woo! And, and a, a lot of women listening to this will know husbands like that. They're very successful people. The husbands are at work and in social settings. They're funny. They're gregarious. Everybody likes them. They play guitar. They tell great jokes. And then they come home and everything changes. And she can see the light change in his eye because he's no longer in the limelight and playing the game of being liked. Now he's home trying to get stuff from her again. And it's very dark. It, and it, to the outside world, the, the relationship's look very healthy behind the closed doors. They feel very threatening to her usually. Yeah, well, this business of getting to get and then flipping the switch and getting angry, I've seen that dance before many times myself. And right. going on, this man is angry and he's going to act out his frustration on the person who he can't please. Right. So it's right. like punishing, punishing the person because he can't please her. Yeah. And the sad thing about it is that... I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. When when I get to talk to these men, we're so stubborn sometimes. I mean, we're thinking, feeling, emotional, very caring, intellectually deep people. But so many of the men I work with, like me, wound up at a place of finally getting a two-by-four in the head and finding out that the marriage was over. In fact, it was over in her mind for many years before it actually ended. And then these guys, all of a sudden the light comes on, and of course all the women in the room groan like, oh, you're finally seeing. And then this overwhelming sense of guilt comes over them. They're starting to see what's going on. They'll talk to me. They'll read some of the books that I recommend, and they'll go, that was me. Oh, my God. And, and then they scramble like crazy trying to save the marriage, trying to be Mr. Great Man in the matter of 90 days after spending 20 years as a good guy and teaching her that he really can't be trusted. And then, then they try to recover the marriage in 90 days. And a lot of guys do. A lot of guys do recover the marriage, but they learn that it took 20 years to, to teach her that he has a certain mode and, and she, he needs to rebuild trust. And trust takes a lot more than 90 days. And yes, it does. Do and this, this thing you're describing is something, uh, you know, in, in the world of marital therapy, as you know, we call it the walk-away wife syndrome. She's already decided it's over. She has some marker in her mind, I am leaving you, you sorry, whatever. And she doesn't tell him until she's ready. She's got it all lined up. And she says, okay, I'm done. 
and he's surprised. He says, well, wait a minute. Uh, you, you haven't been complaining. I thought everything was fine. Well, she stopped complaining because she was tired of saying what she needed. <laughs> right. And I would right. men, please, no woman suffers in silence. She Absolutely. has been trying to tell you what she needed. You just weren't listening. And, and what you and Regina were talking about, how a person can suddenly decide to go solo, and, and one of my, my little marketing phrases is, shush, don't tell your partner you're going to couples coaching. Um, because <laughs> by, by the time you get to the point of the walk-away wife, the, the last thing in the world that's going to succeed is couples coaching when they're not talking, they're, they stop negotiating, they stop compromising, everything is negative. And it's time for him to man up. It's time for him to, you know, one of the beginning parts of my, my coaching program is finding your nuts. And that's an acronym. That's an, it's an acronym from uh, Wayne Levine who wrote Hold On to Your Nuts. And it stands for What Are Your Non-Negotiable, Unalterable Terms. Non-negotiable, unalterable terms. And I hope that's okay for your PG Non-negotiable, show. non-alterable terms. Well, Cliff and I are cracking up here. He's falling over. <laughs> I love it. Well, so, Wayne Levine is the author. Yeah. But I call them your masculine operating principles. So you as a man, are you going to make a statement for yourself? An example of a nut would be, I will change my masculine frame for me because it is who I want to be. And from there flows a lot of other affirmations and nuts, as you will. Um, here's a Doc Wadeism. It says there isn't any other way to create a love relationship other than how I think, talk, feel, and believe about myself. Right? Mm, I think yes. Does that sound familiar? Yes, it sounds um, very familiar because we're always in relationship with ourselves. It doesn't really matter what the other person is doing or thinking or feeling. We're going to react out of our own patterns. So, Steve, what are the five things that every okay. man needs to know before well, he falls in love? And I, I love this because I wrote a book, 99 Things You Need to Know Before Falling in Love. Okay, well, let's get into it. <laughs> you got remember, it. Five, this is great. 99 Things, i got to read that. <laughs> and let's change the context of um, because this was in the context of this uh, father talking to the son mm-hmm. before he entered into a marriage. Um, and so another way to look at this are the five things you really need to know before trying to love, before trying to love. Mm-hmm. And uh, this, these are the epiphanies that I realized after my, my 30 years of trying to love and failing horribly and learning so much about what it is about yourself and how you think about things. I think that's another uh, Doc Wadeism, isn't it? Our beliefs and our thoughts create feelings. And as I go through these, I just saw so many parallels with what you say and what you write. It just blows me away. Um, so number one, you want to go into that? Yes, please. Number one, son, is she can feel your intentions. And and I think that was step one in power choices, wasn't it? Intention? Yes, it is. My God, right? you're right. There's quite a bit of overlap. Yeah, wow. intention. And here I, I tried to communicate to the guy who's had, had his epiphany but is losing his wife that she does have a very special ability to sense negative energy and pressure. She can't read your mind, but she does feel love. She does feel it. And, and this intuition I talk about so widely documented that men don't understand that their intentions can be felt. And if it's negative intention, 
it'll be reacted to. If it's positive intention, it will be reacted to. And we are so simple, so direct, so what you see is what you get, as I write. It's why we stink at reading between the lines sometimes. So when a guy understands that, he can choose an intention. And when you come home from work and the radiator is busted and everything's going wrong at work that day, you can walk in the door and choose to create bad feelings or you can choose an intention of love, respect, appreciation, approval. You can make that choice at any given time. And one thing I say in number one is that when you choose not to do that, when it's clear that you've made the choice to not do that in your intention, she has no choice but to make the conclusion that you enjoy creating bad feelings in her. Um, hmm. Interesting. In, wow. Okay. The, the hard part here is that the context of usually that's going on is when the relationship has gone downhill enough already or she doesn't trust he wants to make her feel good. So the thing I always say with intention is go first. This is the thing you and Regina were talking about. Be the one, go first, start your intention, start the tone. You know, you can do it. You don't need to wait for her to do something to make you do it. And that's the give-to-get philosophy. I am not going to give my gifts of approval and love and respect until I start feeling it from her, doggone it. And um, and that's the rut they get into. So it's kind of a waiting game. If I don't get what I want and need, I'm not going to give. And that takes us back to what you said earlier, Steve, about the giving to get. Right. Now, what is next when you said, don't ever think she's not a sexual woman? Yeah. Because that was two, interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the guys I talk to start out with, with how bad their sex life is. For many men, the barometer of their happiness and satisfaction in their marriage is how good is the sex. It is kind of caveman-like, but it is an easy measure. Um, and they quickly start believing wrong things. Like you say, our beliefs and our thoughts create feelings. And sometimes they create totally untrue feelings. Uh, Many of the guys I talk to will say, she just is not an affectionate person. I don't think she ever was. She doesn't like sex. She's not a sexual woman. She doesn't even like touching me. When I ask her for a back scratch, she gives me the 20-second quickie. She just is not a physical person. And the more he says it to himself and the more he believes it, the more he treats her as if it is true. He's giving her a very negative reputation to live up to. In fact, all his words and his thoughts and his actions are wrapped around this false belief that she is not a physical woman. And what I try to explain to him, that God did not design her that way. <laughs> you know, She is designed to be a loving, passionate, connected woman. And if she's not feeling it with you and and the evidence you have is that she's not, believe me, brother, she is capable of imagining that with somebody who is not you. Yes, and this we know. The reason women have affairs and affairs with uh, with women is on the rise, getting close to the number. uh, For men, I think 48% of women now say they've had affairs. Whereas that, you know, that province always belonged to, to men, and most women say it's not for the sex. Right. That they are having sex with someone else because that person makes them feel valued and important, and they're paying attention to them. Exactly. And yeah. go to number three. We've got to get all five of these in. All right. Number three got a lot of flack online because I used one particular word. 
a four-letter word, and it, it gets a bad rap. She has no choice but to lead if you're not trying. And the four-letter word is lead, um, as if leading each other is a bad thing. It has a very patriarchal sound or dominant sound, but women and men both lead all the time with their love. They lead with their intention. They lead with their words. And so when I use the word lead, I, I want it to mean it's a very powerful, intentional feeling. So many guys get into, well, she likes to do the laundry. She hates it when I do that. She'd rather cook because I stink at it. She doesn't like the way I clean. Well, she'll let me touch her when she's ready to let me touch her, and we have sex whenever she says we can have sex. So he's by default put her in charge of every department of the entire relationship and running the household and the kids, and he thinks she likes it that way. Mm, because he's left her no choice but to get into some very powerful, controlling, responsible, predictable, stable energy that, that has a very masculine feel to it. They get called nags all the time, right? Bossy wife, nagging wife, disrespectful wife. And, and they wonder, how did she ever get there? And it's because a lot of us have dumped, and I say us, us guys, have dumped the responsibility, we have abdicated all responsibility to her to make the household run, to make us feel good, to make our sex life wonderful, to make the kids get good grades, and she resents it, rightfully so. And uh, by the time they come to me, they're going, how could I have done this? How could I have not seen how horrible that was? I want a second chance. Well, what I tell them at that point, I'm here to save you from yourself, brother. You may not save your marriage, but your next relationship may be fantastic if we can get a hold of what, what's going on in your head. Yeah. So the question is, why do men give up all leadership when they're around a very strong woman who pretends that she she wants it. What is it about his own value and his own principles he isn't clear enough on to take the lead in ways that he wants to? Mm. And that's a tough thing. That's a tough yeah. thing for women because most women, and it doesn't matter if you're in a heterosexual, homosexual relationship, uh-huh. most partners need and want to take a break and I find that there is a masculine and feminine polarity in every relationship, be it hetero or homosexual. Yeah, and the person true. holding that feminine polarity, as well as the person holding the masculine polarity, needs to take a break and rest and refresh. And a woman who is forced to lead and take full control, or even a man who's forced to lead and take full control, gets exhausted. It's exhausting. There's no time to rest and refresh. Yeah, and, and I've talked to some men who actually have good guide themselves to death. They now clean the kitchen, they do the dishwasher, they pack the lunches, they vacuum the floors, they do all the laundry, they cook all the meals, and she still isn't giving him sex. And every woman listening now can say, well, I can see that. I can see why she's not giving him sex because he's trying to take control of everything in order to get sex. That's exactly his motive. And women right. see right through it. Men, men don't realize how clearly women can see the give-to-get energy. Yeah, I love it. So give us number four and number five. We can't let you go till we get all of this. This is rich. This is very rich, Steve. Oh, thank you. I'm not even sure I thank you for having me. I was so nervous waiting online because it's such an honor to be here. So thank you if I forget to tell you again, okay? Thank you. No, it's a pleasure. Number four is about Doc Wadeism. The Doc Waitism that says you must learn how to give good love. 
And part of that are some of the, the inner process skills that you talk about. I think you talked about forgiveness and compassion as being some inner process skills. Well, some of the ones that I talk about when we get into this are empathy and the ability to choose a, a response to stress instead of a reaction. I call it a, a masculine response over a boyish reaction. And this is under the umbrella of emotional safety. Number four is she expects you to understand how to help her feel emotionally safe. And when you talk to some guys, they don't even have a definition for it. They would say, what do you mean by that? And to me, emotional safety simply means that our emotions are not judged. They're not subject to debate. It means that our emotions are respected for being real and important, exactly as they're felt. It means the environment is safe for sharing and discussing our feelings. Mm. And when you ask a man, how well are you doing that for her? How are you filling up her cup of emotional safety today, and he'll think everything he said and did throughout the day. He goes, well, I think I poked a few holes in her bucket. (laughs) Right. Now, Steve, we only have a minute left, and I know number five is you want guys to remember. Yes, she picked you for a reason. reason. Mm. She's attracted to you. She thinks you're funny. She laughs at your joke, but don't screw this up. She loves who you are now, and you have a lot of growing up to do. And what I do with my business is try to give men a brotherly kick in the pants. And if they're willing to say, I'm willing to do this, I want to go forward, kick me in the butt. I know she loves me, but I don't want to screw it up. That's All right, everybody. You're listening to Steve Horseman's Deep Wisdom. And, Steve, thank you also for sussing out what I've been writing in Power Choices and, and the other books I've had the honor to write. And, everybody, if you want that brotherly kick in the butt – or want a man who's gone from being a good guy to a great guy, check him out at www.goodguys2greatmen.com. Steve Horseman, thank you for being with us tonight. Everyone send him a wave of thanks and gratitude. Thank you so much. Mm, Let that in, Steve. And remember, you can get in touch with Regina Cates at www.romancingyoursoulwhat.com deep wisdom from our two guests tonight and of course you want to stay tuned for upcoming guests melissa grill peterson power passion and punch and phyllis newhouse the science of getting rich because you know love and money have a lot to do with each other join me live for a very special seminar it's my gift to you as one of our listeners healing secrets for toxic love creating your best relationship ever. That's May 24th and 25th. That's Saturday, Sunday, uh, this month, May, right here in our Good Love Academy. It'll be an honor to be with you, and I want to say huge thank you and love to our producer, LeGrand Green, our producer and moderator, Cliff Dunning. Thank you for Anonymous who sent a question tonight. Be with us again next week when we share more secrets, more wisdom for good love. In the meantime, remember you are worthy, you are deserving, and you are so lovable. Good night, everyone, and many, many blessings to all of you. 